This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. If you never lose a match at SEGCon Legacy 10Ks, were you ever really there? Next on Eternal Dirtles. Hello and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Phil Blackman. Phil, how's it going, man? Bro, did you know that we are the first stop on the International World Tour for champion Bosch and Roll, uh, introing him now after his Legacy 10K victory. Bosch and Roll, welcome to the channel. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. First off, congratulations on your amazing, just dominance on Saturday at the Legacy 10K in Baltimore. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it turns out playing legacy for a living day in and day out uh, it it pays out it gets it gets you learn yeah, some practice. stuff yeah as as uh alan iverson said uh practice practice <laughs> yes oh i didn't know Our that guy. was an alan, alan iverson quote that's pretty good yeah yeah he's yeah, the I, first one who ever said that i know yeah i mean he's he's the he's the practice guy you know he, he kind of created the whole concept of practice right um yeah being a philly guy it's the only sports thing i actually know <laughs> yeah, before then athletes just showed up to stuff yeah, it's wild. Um, yeah, so uh, obviously we're here to talk about uh, your your amazing performance on on Saturday. But um, before before we get all all that going, I wanted to get out of the way. Uh, not get out of the way. I wanted to uh, chat up about uh, the Eternal Glory podcast, which you're a part of, uh, which is just an amazing resource for uh, everybody out there that is uh, is playing Legacy. I I can't even imagine that if you're watching this podcast that you don't know about uh, Eternal Glory. But I wanted to. Real quick, give, give a shout out to the Eternal Glory podcast first. Appreciate it. And I won the Saturday event and my co-host, Brian Cook, top for the Sunday event. Yep. Uh, we were two wins away from sweeping, uh, but it's still a good show for the pod. Also, shout out to Phil, who's almost as much a part of the Eternal Glory podcast as I am as our <laughs> illustrious editor. Yes. Yeah, I get to be a little bit behind the scenes for that one, and you know, people have to endure my face for this one. So. Oh, you awesome. mean this Phil, not Phil Phil Gallagher? Yeah, yeah, uh, this, this <laughs> Phil, horse of Phil. We know about no Phil, Gallagher. To Phil Gallagher. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, that Phil. The, the Eternal Glory podcast is very pro Phil. A lot of Phils on that on that show. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. true. Yeah. Well, thirty percent of our listeners are just Phil supporters to begin with, so you know. Smart. Yeah. Our, so our, our uh, Patreon is filled with guys just named Phil. Yeah, it's actually just it's seventy three guys named Phil, each each giving us a dollar a month on Patreon. Uh but yeah, I mean, so I think you're constricting your potential audience, but we, I mean we you could, gotta stand could, for something. Yeah, we could go go further than that. Look, if you're not if your name isn't Phil, you're not we're not telling telling you don't use the, the Patreon, but you know, you're gonna you're gonna be surrounded. We're right, expanding the Phillips with QL soon. Oh, gross. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, I agree. <laughs> So uh, let's let's just start off with the with the day. How did you prepare uh, prepare for for the tournament? You, you obviously didn't just walk in there blind. Uh, so, like I hinted earlier, uh, I'm a full time YouTuber, uh, Eternal Magic, five days a week, and usually Legacy uh, is Eternal Magic. Uh, 
uh, a light legacy week for me is playing three leagues with three different decks and a heavy one is seven to ten different leagues with seven to ten different decks so uh i play a lot of freaking legacy yeah. and basically i've noticed a pattern over the last six months or so where every time i pair into cephalid breakfast i i lose and then i played cephalid breakfast a few times on the channel and it was always impressive just ice cold as this is my deck for today maybe i recorded another league this morning maybe i'm on 50 percent energy i've done zero reps and still just four one easily and the 5-0 was like oh yeah i could have just you know done this a little better so yeah. breakfast high on my radar has been for a long time and my prep for this tournament was just guy control which i can do in my sleep i completely trust myself with uh Island Plains and Ponder in my deck. But there was another deck with Island Plains and Ponder in it, which is Cephalid Breakfast, and just the the dumpster effect of being able to turn to people who aren't ready for you is really nice. And luckily I'm in a, a Discord chat with a bunch of smart gamers, including Alex McKinley and Chad Harney, who have both been working really hard on breakfast lately. Yeah. They generously shipped their list their sideboard guide that they had and all their thoughts about it they just let me pick their brain non-stop for two or three days before the event and that was my prep so just uh alex and chad giving me their information and i played one league which actually came out this monday on my channel so you you can hear me talking from the past about the future oh, i'm thinking about playing Zeppelin breakfast i don't know we'll see how this league goes link link in the uh thing above here uh uh, so what made Cephalid Breakfast the, the deck to play? Like, what was what made that the best deck in the room on Saturday? Uh, so I don't know if it was the best deck in the room. It certainly did all the things I needed a deck to do, which is just murder everyone who wasn't serious about the tournament. Uh, like, no offense to all the people, but no, you know, the you know who the people you demolished. <laughs> I, I don't even mean necessarily my opponents, but there are a number of. Just, you know, I live in Baltimore. I own cards from the 90s. I'm going to come out for a Saturday. Uh, I need to beat every single one of those people with a legacy deck. Any deck that I choose has to beat, you know, like uh, mono black pox or yeah. whatever the, the heck, you know. Guy. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, no offense to a certain uh, Baltimore scene staple, but I can't lose the mud. You know, like I, there's like just decks that people are going to bring. And I got to beat every single one of those before I even consider a deck. And Breakfast just turned two with Force Wheel back up, checks that box hard. And then, can I beat the hate if I'm a combo deck? And Breakfast is at its core Azorius Control. Like you're a Ponder, Brainstorm, Force of Will, Swords of Plowshares to Fairy Time Raveler deck. And then you just have this AB combo as well. So you can beat the hate, you can pivot off the hate. You can just slowly check boxes where, uh, like, I have a force in hand. There's one box checked. I have an Orms chant. Okay, that can check every other box. And the only thing left is a possible fairy macabre. I'll either work my way to Pithing Needle or Cabal Therapy before I go off. Just check for the macabre. 100% can't lose at this point. And you can just check, check, check. And until you can beat everyone eventually, given enough time. And it, it just did everything I needed it to do. I was going to ask you as a fellow control mage, you, you're, you've played a lot of control over the years. You've won with control before. Uh, in a new format post-expressive iteration, you've obviously played a lot of leagues, a lot of uh, big events. This is like the biggest legacy 10K since 
the ban and we had the new Lord of the Rings cards also into the into the fray. Did you know that people were going to have access to Orcish Bowmasters and did that at all change how you thought you were going to approach uh, your build or did you just trust the the uh, work that the guys had done going in even without any reps against Bowmaster? We talked about Bowmaster and for anyone listening in the future who's not apprised of the timeline, it was pre-release weekend. Like that Friday, this event was on Saturday. That Friday was the first time you could legally have Lord of the Rings cards in your possession. And the way the rules work now is if you can legally own a card, you can legally play a card. And I I looked like it was on my radar. Like maybe I'll pre-order a set of Bowmasters and come in with some brew. And they were like 50, 60 bucks. Play set, two bills. And I'm just like, mm, maybe I'll just ignore this card because I... I'm invested. I would like to win. I would like to play the best deck, and I'm willing to you know, spend a little bit to make that happen. And even I was like, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, so I just bet that most people would not move in that direction that quickly. And I saw a few floating around, but uh, I, I cared about it way less than I will even once this pod goes live. Uh, at that point, I'll already be thinking about it a lot harder than I was last weekend. Did you play against it over the weekend? Uh, Well... I played in a pre-release and lost hard to it in limited, uh, and then, uh, which is not what you were asking, but my first, my first interaction with the guard sucked because I got crushed. Uh, but in Legacy, I had one opponent play it, and it, it was in Rakdos Painter, and they just sort of put it into play on turn two. It, I think it killed a one-one spirit token from a staff of the storyteller, and then. I put Teferi Time Raveler into play and bounced the Bowmaster itself. They had used Lotus Petal to play it out, so I wasn't even sure if they could get it back. And then the Residual Army was able to pick off Teferi, so it was kind of like a one and a half for one or or something. And then they, I just dumped them with the combo a turn later. So uh, if you're going to be a Brainstorm Ponder deck and there's a new card like Orcus Bowmaster around, you might as well be the one that can win with two cards and ignore it completely is that something that you would consider like how much weight would you put on the fact that breakfast has just an i win i win button in it compared to the you know dark band and decks that you're known for pioneering uh it's a huge huge thing i recently played a modern uh, rcq with uh the Ren, White, and Blue deck just blue a control splashing Ren and six uh, a deck that i love a deck that i think is very powerful and my record in that tournament was like three, one, and three. And I just am kind of past the point where I can trust my opponents to play at a pace that respects how slow my deck wins. And it's, I just didn't want to do that. Also a nine round tournament. I would like to eat food at some point during the day. I would like to sit down. I would like to, you know, do anything else other than grind down the clock every round. And I, I don't really like Uro in a competitive sense for that reason, even though I love Uro and uh, it, it's just kind of the cost of doing business in a 50 minute round clock that you have to seriously consider that. In That's a long one of the beautiful tournament. things about playing Cephalid Breakfast is that uh, you do have that, uh, you you have like a determinative win condition in your deck. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, just I can, there were, I played against Uro Piles, I think four times in the Swiss. And in any of the ones that went to three games, uh, you like start game three with 12 or 15 minutes on the clock and you already know you can't lose the match. 
and it's just a matter of can I get a win, but at worst is going to be a draw because their deck can't close, which you you can't abuse the clock. That's cheating, but you can be aware of the clock. And like, uh, if I lose this game, it I got no one to blame but myself. <laughs> yeah. Might not win, so I but I can't lose. I know that in the in the breakfast circles, because uh, there's a couple of people in my car that I traveled down to uh, also played breakfast. Uh, Devin Riley, who's been crushing um, 1Ks and 2Ks, and he was at the last uh, Legacy event in Jersey, and he top-aided that one with breakfast. Uh, and so it's been really popular, but there is a branch of uh, breakfast pilots that like staff of the storyteller, like you played the full set and crushed with it. And then there's another suite of players that really like the Stoneforge Mystic Package. And I was going to ask if you had tested or played any games with the Stoneforge Mystic Package or what led you to um, be confident in staff and away from Stoneforge and Days and the other sort of builds that Breakfast has explored. Uh, all of my reps with, Sto with Breakfast before the league I recorded and my chats with Alex and Chad were with Stoneforge Mystic. I top eight at a local dual land tournament in paper and I've played two or three leagues on the channel with Stoneforge. And I really like the gear of Here's Cauldra. Good luck. You know, uh, sort of send that in. And I was pretty skeptical about staff too. Like we really hammered back and forth about that in our chat. And in the end, I just trusted the people who were doing the work rather than me uh, who wasn't doing the work. But one of the things that really stuck to me is that one of the best things against Cephalid Breakfast is instant speed removal spells and those are also good against stoneforge mystic like staff of the storyteller is pretty disrespectful of swords of postures and lightning bolt where stoneforge mystic is functionally duress uh, rather than an alternate win con if that's what you're worried about and you know duress in a combo deck's not bad but also if you're playing one cauldra two shuko you tutor up the cauldra your thing gets bolted now you have cauldra in your hand have fun with that it's a, just a very different type of engine. It's not Stoneforge isn't actually a juke at all. It's just more, I, I, and I'd rather juke than overload. That's kind of how I feel about that. Were there any plays in the throughout the weekend that? I mean, I heard a, lo a lot in the field. I mean, I played against, I think, the same deck once. Otherwise, I played against a different deck every single round on back-to-back -back days. Did did you have a? a, a, a an equal experience and variety of decks that you played against? And was there any particular interaction that you would mark as like the highlight of your event? I played against a lot of Uro piles. Uh, I think there were four and three of them were Yorion, like the Yorion Zenith deck. Mm. Uh, and so I, I played seven, eight, nine, ten. I played 10 rounds uh, at, between top eight and seven O plus two IDs. So four repeats and then six uniques. Nope, I played against the same player twice. Okay, so there was a little bit of overlap, but uh, the Yorion Zenith deck was very saturated at the top tables in the middle of the tournament. Like, I did not play against Delver once. I didn't even see Delver around me, and I think that's thanks to all those Yorion Zenith piles. And I didn't see an 8-cast anywhere in my general vicinity at any point in the tournament. Uh, so... It was weird not to play against the two uh, like most popular and arguably best decks. Uh, I think Acast is putting up the best numbers on on just raw data. Uh, good argument for best deck in Legacy, and Delver is, of course, Delver. And I didn't see either anywhere near me for the whole day. Uh, so that was interesting. Um, as far as exciting moments, I'm trying... 
I'm trying to like remember specific moments uh, where there was some really interesting interaction and the only one I can think of, it's not really an interaction so much as a lesson for, for listeners. Uh, I was playing against my second Uro pile of the day and I was on the draw. I had turned two staff of the storyteller, made a spirit. Opponent plays their third land, passes, uh, just quickly passes, doesn't even think. Uh, I could tell by their posture, by, you know, just everything. I'm like, they have endurance. World's most obvious endurance. You might as well put a face up. And uh, the first thing I did before I even played my land drop, just serve with the spirit. They slammed the endurance. They ate my spirit. And then I went land Nomad Cephalid and killed them. Goodbye. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so just kind of moments like that where it's, and I'm sure... No offense to that person if they're listening, but those sort of things where it's like you're at 19 life, like you've fetched once this game, it's turn three, like you, you can't take one to make sure you don't die. Uh, you know, like that, that sort of those play patterns were really apparent to me, having been in the moto queues for the last two, three years, thanks to COVID and not really doing these big regional events. Just MTGO players are a lot tighter than the people you even see in like round four, round five. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. These things. Do you get to play a lot of, I mean, I know that you, I mean, anybody who's not following Brian on Twitter, follow follow him on Twitter. He always posts his tournament results and things like that. But you still play a lot of paper. Do you get a sense that the, the edge that you gain from being able to read body language like that, do you think that that makes it easier for you to game in person than on Moto? I do. Uh... Like, I, I think it's important to be able to do both because Moto, it really is just like, it is my skill versus your skill. And there is no mind tricks. There's no anything. If you walk someone into something, it's because you played in a way that indicated it and then you switched them and it's all on the board. But in paper, there's definitely like uh, some body language stuff. Uh, some, like one of my opponents, uh, they looked at their opening seven and I saw them like kind of uh, like like the, the, like those of you watching this on video see what I just did but I just like sort of bobbed my head back and forth four times and like counted to four and they sort of tapped on the table a couple times and I was like this is a combo deck yeah. they're, they're just very obviously counting to some number by looking at the seven cards in their hand it's like okay I'll multi force if will and it turned out yeah. to be painter no. Yeah, that, that's actually, uh, a, you're reminding me, I played against um, a, a reanimator player, uh, super nice dude, and in the first game, the, the mulligan decisions of thinking like how to mulligan were t took a, a, a lot longer than somebody who wasn't playing a control deck that just like is looking for lands and spells. And it was, right. it was, very, cl it was very clear from the amount of time that they took on the first mulligan and then the uh, subsequent mulligan that I was like, oh, okay, yeah, my keep is going to be pretty reasonable against what's happening here, you know? And yeah, that, yep. that was that was actually pretty obvious. That's a good call. Yeah, and like there's always like a little bit of Hollywooding that can be done. And I, I think this should be like 
sub 1% of your game. If you're working on this rather than good fundamental magic, you're wasting your time. Yeah. But like, uh, I, I played against uh, a couple of combo decks uh, where it's just like, I have Force and Fluster Storm in my hand and I just uh, like kind of put my hand off to the side and like, okay, yep. Like the second Dark Ritual, I'm just like head in my hand, hand off to the side, like, yep. Uh, and, and you could like soft sell some stuff a little bit, but yeah. or well, the opposite. Something we used to say in the, the the poker circles was if if you are a hyena bluffing, you're always gonna get eaten by the lions. Like right. you're all people who know what they're doing are always going to just shrug off. You know they're gonna play tight magic. You know so uh, constantly bluffing like you know whatever you're doing. The people who like like tap on the thing when they don't have anything to do, they're like pretending to count it's kind of obvious but uh th they'll get people occasionally with stuff like that right and uh, there's just like a little bit or like uh i actually think and i'm gonna talk about this uh quite a bit in my tournament report because it's very weird in the finals in game three i was against food chain goblins and i was on the play they snap kept a seven after they won game two on the strength of Leyline of the void and then i just couldn't remove in time and then game three, they snap kept seven. I mulligan to six, which, you know, in paper takes, you know, shuffle the deck, present the deck, uh, maybe some conversation happening. The judge is sitting there, you know, like, it's not like Moto where you just click and your hand's still in front of you. My opponent, when I was doing all this, put their hand face down in front of them and just sort of let the time pass until I was ready. Then I kept six and I was like, are you ready? And he said, yes. I said, okay, Island Ponder, you're up. And it turns out, he had Leyline of the Void in his seven and just did not put it into play. Forgot to put it in. Oh. So, uh, what? I, after the game, because the, the head judge who was watching our match was on his side of the table. He had a friend next to him. And as soon as the game was over, both the judge and the friend were like, so that opening hand. And I don't know if my opponent was trying to play it cool, how bad they just messed up, or if they just seriously misunderstood how magic works but they were like i had a plan for that i was i was playing around some stuff and like oh yeah uh, that's they, saving face like they did have triple ignoble hierarch and pyroblast like maybe they're planning for some world where they cast leyline and protect it with reb after i brainstorm away a serenity and so i can't answer it i'm just like but that's like thousands of miles into the weeds and just yeah. missing the first 999 levels of how this game's gonna go uh so yeah. uh, i it, it's it was 10 o'clock at night been a long day uh my opponent had to play all the rounds they didn't get to shake hands like i did for two hours and i think their brain just melted a little uh, but on on mtgo you're gonna get a prompt like yeah would you like to put your ley line into play and uh i don't know that that would have happened on moto where it didn't paper yeah um did were there any Oh, go, go ahead, Phil. I was going to ask, based on, on something like that, did you, what would you say is the most significant difference that you noticed for yourself playing a deck that has a, a potential to just go turn one, turn two, kill you versus the, the long grindier style control decks that you've played previously? Like, did you notice a difference in your experience at an event in a single day, you know, including top eight, 13 round event? Absolutely. Yeah, I... I got like 25 minutes between every round. I, I, I could walk to Jimmy John's. I could walk to 7-Eleven. I could just 
take a walk in general. I could go to the other side of the hall. There was a CEDH 5K going on. Just burn some matches of that. I could go sit uh, and you know play Marvel Snap on my phone, put my brain on something else. Just a lot of time to rest and relax. Uh, I could use the bathroom as often as I needed to. Uh, You'd I'm, get an interview in between round four and five with me. Exactly. Yeah, you can do that kind of stuff <laughs> yeah. where I am very used to like uh, between one and negative 10 minutes on the clock. When I'm finished playing, I'm like scrambling to shove my deck in my box and run to the bathroom, like finding a judge. Like, judge, uh, my match is finished, but I need the bathroom. Like, I, I, in case I'm late, you know, I did zero of that. And it was it was very nice. Did you notice that like that impacted how tightly you played? I hope so. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I definitely identified at least two mistakes I made, uh, one in round six and one in round uh, one in the top four, uh, two mistakes that I should have known better. Uh, but like, yeah, so there was some wear and tear, but I I wasn't just, you know, throwing. I wasn't forgetting to put my Leyline of the Void into play against Grave Air combo decks, for example. Yeah, I can, I can say from... Uh... As, as somebody I imagine, or I imagine that a lot of play, players that are watching this and watching your tournament report and seeing your performance, I know from uh, my experience as well, a lot of the guys in my car, uh, as I had mentioned before, uh, Devin Riley, guys like Sam Rukas, you know, miracle bros to, you know, for years and years and years, including myself, like I sleeved up and treat the angels for this event. Uh, and they all have agreed that like, hey, sometimes just having an auto win button in your deck is just the way to go for these longer events. And they're like, fair magic is for chumps. And so seeing you be able to just run the table as like a long, a long time control mage, just being able to one, two punch people, it's like, you know, it, it inspires me. And I hope uh, people that are watching to also, you know, branch out and try new things because maybe there's success to be had. So I, I want to gently set the record straight on a, a thing because I have a YouTube brand that's on, I'm this blue white control Euro gamer. But if you look at my actual tournament results over my life, uh, it's, uh, Rixus Delver, Is It Delver, Paradoxical Outcome Combo. Uh, I have three Eternal Weekend Top 8s with Paradoxical Outcome. I have three or four Star City Top 8s and wins with Delver. Uh, in the last two years, even since we came back from pandemic shutdowns, my Star City Top 8, I won with Delver and one with Shark Typhoon uh, before this weekend where I went with Cephalid Breakfast. So there's a lot of tempo and combo in my actual results versus what I like doing on my YouTube channel. So that, and that, there's another thing. So like, that's a, see, that's awesome. Cause like in the moment, I also learned another thing clearly. Like I was like, oh yeah. When I look at what Brian has accomplished and what he does, I'm looking for like the style of things that I'm accustomed to and like to play. And so when I think of Brian, when I think of Bosch and roll, I'm thinking of the Euro piles, the long-term control decks. Cause that's the stuff that I like to play. And that's the stuff I go to. And it's like, your range is actually a lot wider. And then I should go and like explore all the things that you've done in that space as well. And learn from that as well. That's really cool. That's like a, a level up moment for me in the moment, which is cool. So I hope that there's takeaway from that as well. Yeah, I hope so. And uh, like when you're known for being the Shark Typhoon Euro gamer and you have a active, sharky, extremely strong legacy scene like I do locally, uh, we have two or three legacy for a dual light events every month in Pittsburgh and the players are very good. I think we have five or six different Eternal Weekend top eight competitors just who just show up every month and those people are smart and they metagame you and I need to be able to show up with doomsday and just you know, juke uh, everyone who's gonna bring something that beats uro yeah. and 
there was one weekend a couple months ago. There was a dual land event on Saturday and one on Sunday. And I brought Doomsday to both and I won two dual lands. And then I never played Doomsday again. And you just gotta kind of work the metagame and flex the range where you have it. And especially for these nine rounders, being able to not rely on Mystic Sanctuary and Injury the Angels to eventually get a win is it's important to be able to make that move. Speaking of juking, uh, I wanted to really quick uh, give a quick shout out to our sponsor, uh, Moxfield.com. Uh, I know you're familiar with Moxfield.com as well. I love Moxfield. Yeah. Uh, it's just one of the best, uh, you know, deck building websites out there. It is the best deck building website, in my opinion, out there. And uh, it's just a really great resource. Uh, Phil uses all the time for his for his miracle deck. I'm constantly making new decks and using it for EDH and whatnot as well. And, uh, you know, I know that you're, uh, you you use the site as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my deck from this weekend is on there now. Yep. I post all my decks Link from below. the channel there. <laughs> uh, life hack: if you want to follow my Mox field, I don't usually put lists as unlisted until like the video comes up. They're just public. And if you want to see what's recorded three, four days ahead of time, you know, just yeah. follow my Mox field. They'll pop yeah. up as soon as they're recorded and you won't see them for a couple days after that. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so my, uh, my next question is, what do you think your hardest matchup, uh, one, of the day, and then two, period is with with Cephalid breakfast the hardest matchup period i i mean again like i'm not i haven't done a thousand ma- games with this deck i've done like 40 uh, like a very small number relative to uh, a deck master but it seems like the mirror would be kind of a crapshoot especially if they're on stoneforge like the Stoneforge Days build of the Mirror, where you're the staff build, I think they'll chew you up with Cauldra and with their uh, cheaper, uh, more plentiful permission. So uh, I, I'm pretty worried about that. Uh, just part of a healthy metagame, I guess. Uh, so that that's kind of a concern. As far as my hardest matchup in the tournament, I'm trying to think if they're... Oh, it was probably Tony Scaponi in the top four. Just, uh, in, we're both combo decks. He is slightly faster than me on Goldfish. He was on Black Saga Storm. His, his Goldfish is slightly faster than mine, but I have a bunch of permission, but he has like 13 discard spells in his deck. And uh, it's, yeah. uh, it was very important that uh, I, he was the top seed too. So he had the play. Uh, and it was very important that I was able to break serve in game one and have the play in game three because we it's just really scary going up against that. Yeah. Fun fact, uh, Tony will be will, depending on the timing of this of this uh, episode, Tony will either have already been on or will be on uh, later this week. Yep, he was my roommate for the event uh, and our one of our other roommates, top eight at the 5k and the highest value guy, room in the in, yeah in right the, <laughs> and and the fourth the fourth guy lost two winning ins he was 5-0 and then lost round six and round seven like couldn't draw for some reason around five and then uh so he kind of fell off but we, we had see a pretty what you strong guys are room. doing for the next uh for the next event as far as rooming is <laughs> yeah go, go play team trios guys go <laughs> yeah right so the the w- w- last thing i wanted to to ask you is Based on that you have uh, pivoted multiple times before uh, and that you are now more or less a uh, household name in the legacy circles, when you sit down and play your uh, 
in a ne the next big event, do you think you would run Cephalid Breakfast back or do you think you would change your list based that everybody follows all of your work and so they're gonna come sit down. Do you, do you think you are going to keep them guessing or do you have a sense that people sort of know what you're on? I will play what I think will do best for me in the tournament, whatever that means. Uh, if if the metagame just suddenly becomes 4x very macabre and every sideboard just to keep breakfast in check, that's I will respect that and I'll do something else that doesn't care about very macabre. If we don't go quite that far and breakfast is still doing its thing, then uh, I will. It'll certainly be on the list. Um, I'm. I have a someday resolution to actually learn how to make Doomsday Piles, and I think that deck is cracked, but nobody actually knows how to play it. So uh, that that could happen. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I am I am You're wide open. First Doomsday. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, I I am wide open. I have the capacity to play anything, and uh, it's a safe bet I won't be on Reanimator. I tried that recently. It was awful. Uh, well, not for me. Uh, even though it's the number one deck on Goldfish. Seems uh, even worse with Orcish Bowmasters running around, right? Right, right. So uh, there's some stuff you could safely put me away from. I won't be on Death and Taxes. I won't be on Reanimator. But uh, anything with you know, Ponder in it uh, is probably a safe bet that it could happen. And follow up on that. When when you sit down across the table and somebody, do you get I assume you get recognized fairly often when you sit down. So this funny thing happened in this event because I recently integrated my socials into MTG Melee, and I didn't realize that my name was going to come up as Bosch and Roll in the I pairings. I did the same thing. I did the same thing. Right. <laughs> and it was kind of a 50-50 a of opponents who sat down. They're like, I love your stuff, because they knew it was me right away off the pairing. And then the people are like, are you Bosch and Roll? Like, had clearly never heard that before and didn't know what it was and I'm like yeah my name's Brian you know yeah. uh, so I can immediately suss out who knew what I who I was and who didn't <laughs> based on that see when it's you're like the, me it, and you it, put dirtle maggots down and everyone's just like what is this idiot mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> we're the just leading the way into the sure. future where everybody just goes by their handle even in everyday life yeah yeah I, I'm rooting for that future I mean honestly magic is basically the only game where that's not already true uh, like everybody goes by their online name uh, in all esports capacities, and Magic not really in esports. Our esports era failed miserably, but I, I still think it's cool. Uh, like I know Tony g goes by Tony Scaboni, which is not his actual name. Not his actual and, name, yeah. Yeah, uh, like that's cool. Uh, that that's great for the brand and all that stuff. So I'm gonna yeah. keep doing it. It's fun. Well, yeah, I think that's I think that's all the questions we had. Uh, Ryan, I really appreciate you coming on, especially so. So this is Monday. We're recording on Monday, so two days after you uh, you uh, won the event, we really appreciate you uh, you coming on. Yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure to be here. Glad it worked out so quick. Well, one last thing, uh, Brian, please uh, let everybody know where they can find you, the best spots to to follow you at, and see what uh, you're up to next. YouTube is, of course, my primary offering to the world. I'm also active on Twitter, Bosch and Roll at both. B-O-S-H, the letter N-R-O-L-L. -L. Also, if you want more and want to support more, I have a Patreon and YouTube membership where I post all of my lists before the events that I'm playing in. And if I have bothered to make a sideboard guide, I will post that too. There is currently a list and sideboard guide up for my deck from Baltimore in my Patreon. 
and uh, they were there two days before the event too. They could have been yours. All right. Awesome. Well, uh, I think that does it for uh, for this week. Uh, thanks everybody for watching. Uh, if you've gotten some value here, remember like, subscribe, all that stuff, help the algorithm uh, have other people find this thing, and uh, that'll do it for us. Thanks so much. Come on down. Ride, ride, call me.